welcome back to another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, president of Yankee Institute. And today, as we continue our December series, we are, of course, not just looking back to the year that was, we are looking forward to the year that will be. And as part of that, we have the honor of welcoming Andy Markowski, principal of Statehouse Associates, Yankee Institute's legislative consultant. We're going to talk a little bit about, and yes, everyone, brace yourselves, the upcoming legislative session. Andy works closely with Yankee Institute as we get ready to see what is going to be coming down the pike as the new legislature adjourn, well, not adjourns, actually convenes for what's going to be happening. So Andy, thanks for being with us. Absolutely, Carol. Glad to be here. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's that time of year. And as the uh, infamous holiday song lyric goes, it's the most wonderful time of the year as we uh, (laughs) enter into the legislative session. I I don't know. I tend to sort of uh, remember there's the the judge or I, I can't remember his name, whoever it was who said no man's life, liberty or property is safe while the legislature is in session. So I'm sure it's a joke. Let's hope it's a joke. But we are at the uh, outset of a whole new gubernatorial term, a whole new legislature. Uh, So I know all our listeners are agog with anticipation to know where all the bodies are buried and what we have to look forward to. And let's kick it off by talking about the fact this is going to be a long session. And what does that mean for everyone? Yes, this is the long legislative session coming up, um, convenes on January 4th, uh, runs for uh, a session until June 7th. The long session is the time period in which the legislature primarily is tasked with adopting a biennial state budget. So we have a long session in odd numbered years, the legislature adopts the budget, and then it's a two-year budget. And then in the short session years, even number years, um, the legislature can make adjustments to that budget. The other uh, sort of interesting thing about long session years is just the quantity of individual bills that are introduced. Any legislator can introduce a bill on any topic in a long session year. Um, Whereas in In short session years, uh, they are somewhat constrained to subject matter purely relating to budgetary adjustments. So get your popcorn ready because there will be a lot to see coming up. Oh, boy. I was going to say eat your Wheaties, but the effect is the same. Everybody buckle up. It's no holds barred this year. So, Andy, there's a lot going on. What, What should we be ready for? Talk a little bit about, with the elections, how has the composition of the legislature changed and what does that mean for what we should be looking for? Yeah, I mean, as people know, and the, the saying goes, elections have consequences. And there are many, many new faces inside the legislature, and that purely impacts the structure and function of the legislature um, before you can even talk about policy items. So right. in, in terms of political breakdown, there wasn't much change. Um, you know, this is a this election sort of as it relates to the General Assembly was a case of the more things change, the more they stay the same. In, in other words, despite all the new faces, 
the net balance of power is essentially the same as it was the last two years in both the House and Senate. There was a, a net gain of one seat by the Democrats in each chamber, the House and Senate. So going into this uh, this long session, it's 98 to 53 in the House, uh, 24 to 12 in the Senate. Again, that was just a net gain over last session's numbers. And the overall number of state legislators being new, I think there's you know approximately 30 new House members, uh, eight new senators. Um, and out of 187 legislators in total, that's actually a large percentage turnover for any given cycle. So there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be a learning curve for advocates, a learning curve for lawmakers themselves, um, how to navigate the building, how to navigate the process. That has a direct impact on the lawmaking process itself, right? So you've got a lot of new legislators who are going to come in with new energy and new ideas, but they will soon realize that there's a, a hierarchy, there's a pecking order, and there's a process. And that is controlled by the leadership, which is remaining the same uh, in, in both the House and Senate, and uh, also the committee chairs, which are not remaining the same. There's going to be many new faces there. Um, and, and these folks are tasked with tackling not just the budget issue. We mentioned this was a state budget year, of course, but topics like healthcare, energy, and just overall affordability. So there's going to be bills introduced on all these topics. Each of the caucuses have their own priorities. It's, it's going to be a battle in terms of, you know, what policy ideas ultimately rise to the top and which ones pass. Right. And so when you talk about the different chambers having different priorities, how would you characterize that? You know, it's it's a little early to tell at the moment in terms of, you know, legislative leadership holding their cards kind of close to the vest. But from what we do know at this point, the House, obviously, as the bigger body, the House Majority Caucus with 98 Democrats, they have a, a difficult job to do. And when I say they, I mean the legislative leadership, um, because they have many different factions in that caucus they have to appease. You know, and, and let's just look at fiscal matters for a minute. You have a segment of the House Democratic Caucus that is very much in line with some of the fiscal principles that Governor Lamont has been touting for the last four years. And things like keeping the state's uh, spending caps and revenue caps and volatility caps in place, things like not increasing tax rates on individuals, not imposing any new broad-based tax increases. On the other hand, there's a large segment of that caucus, uh, you could call them more progressive, that are looking to increase taxes, uh, fund new programs, not be as fiscally prudent as the state has been over the last several years. And they're citing the fact that the state is seeing uh, record surpluses projected, as well as the fact that the state received an influx of federal money over the last two years. Um, so that's just sort of one illustration of how sometimes the battles can play out within an individual caucus rather than across the legislature as a whole. And then, of course, you have the Republicans, you know, smaller in numbers sitting there and trying to figure out how do they advance their ideas and where do they align. Right. You know, it's going to be interesting to see. Do you see an overall ideological shift in, you know, the center of gravity in either of the caucuses? You know, I really don't right now, personally. And again, 
you know, the, the net balance of power remains relatively the same. It's, you know, there were, there were some seats where that were previously held by Democrats where Republicans won and then vice Mm -hmm. versa seats held by Republicans where Democrats won. So it's not as if we can say there was a a huge swath of moderates that came into office or progressives. Um, And given the fact that leadership is the same, I think uh, ideologically we're going to have a very similar makeup and, and policies to what we've seen over the last two years. Yeah. Where do you see them heading first, Andy? Like, Obviously, people are going to come in with a lot of new energy and a lot of eagerness to sort of come out of the gate strong. But do you see them heading toward fiscal matters? You know, I mean, are they going to really start off with the budget or do you think we're going to be talking about health care first? What do you think we're going to be really sort of headed for straight out? Yeah, there's there's a large menu to choose from. Um, right. Or let's just start going through sort of everything you think we're going to be dealing with. What should everybody be prepared to be reading about and hearing about? Yeah, so I think uh, I, I think the budget, they're certainly going to tackle it, but um, yep. I would I would put that off a couple months. In, right. in other words, you know, the governor will, um, you know, provide his state of the state address uh, at the onset of session, uh, but the budget proposal won't be out until the middle of February. The budget committees will work through it. It's typically passed in the waning days of the legislative session. In, in other words, they've got time to tackle that. Yep. Energy. And, and when I say energy, um, this is one of the hot topics right now, and particularly electric rates and heating costs, given the time of year that we're in. And it should be, because, I mean, people are going to be cold. Yeah, they are. And we're going to see, I think, similar things happening in the energy world uh, and, and specifically the electricity world uh, that we may see going on with healthcare as well. And, and I know the two topics are unrelated, but from a legislative oversight standpoint and from a process standpoint, there's some similarities here because the same things people are saying about electric rates right now, that they are skyrocketing. And where is state government in terms of allowing or approving these electric rates to go through are some of the same things that we heard uh, in in late summer and early fall with regard to health insurance rates. Where is state government? How is it that the carriers can submit proposed rate increases that are double digit percentages? So, um, you know. And, you know, Andy, that kills me. Well, I mean, good thing there's Yankee Institute. I'm kidding. But you know, it's amazing to me because people, people, especially sometimes on the left, they want to get upset about the fact that there are market forces at work. And so you want to artificially sort of squash the supply of energy and then be upset when energy rates go up. Take it up with the law of supply and demand. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. And I think, you know, that's what the regulators, you know, and, and remember the regulators are in the executive branch that they have said, hey, legislature, you've empowered us at the state agencies to have a process in place and said, these are the things we can look at. These are the things we can't look at. And, uh, you know, if you make a proper case, if you're an electric distribution company, or if you make a proper case, if you are a health insurance company, uh, the regulators have to approve those rates. Right. 
It's not something we can just sort of unilaterally abrogate because the rates have gotten too high. Yeah, and and from a you know balance of power within state government standpoint, you know this is a case where legis the legislature has empowered the executive branch agencies as as they should because the minutia and the details involved in rate setting and rate approval, whether it's electric, health insurance, or anything else, is not something that the legislature can deal with on a day to day basis. So, do they change that process overall? I I don't believe so. Do they look into it a little bit more and maybe nibble around the edges? Yes, I, I, I do think they will. And of course, you know, the legislature um, is going to look at how do they address energy costs, heating costs, particularly for the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, we already saw some of that in the special session with regard to, you know, the state having to provide some supplemental funding um, for the low-income heating assistance program. We're going to see more of that, most likely. I mean, the whole thing is... Uh, just such an object example of how badly everything gets messed up when the state inserts itself in the first place and messes up markets. I mean, really, that's like the story, the theme that runs through. The state inserts itself in the healthcare market and the energy markets. And the more you get state involvement, the more the whole thing gets messed up. And then they insert themselves further to correct the distortions they've created. But anyway, are they going to mess around in a bunch of social issues? Um, you know, there's always oh, something yeah. that will come up. You know, of course, there have been some news articles lately about things happening in our schools. You know, there's this whole issue of uh, cannabis uh, retail, which the legislature passed a couple years ago. It's now being rolled out in communities. Some communities are starting to push back. There's a lot of questions about the process. Um, So, you know, they might be involved with that. Of course, there's the ongoing topic of, I'll I'll put it in the broad category of of law enforcement and police powers and police response. You know, there was a a bill passed a couple of years ago, pretty controversial. The crime bill? People thought it went too far. The the, the crime bill, um, the the police immunity bill. or, or taking away Way police, uh, police immunity. immunity is is probably a, a more correct descriptor of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is there going to be an appetite to re- revisit that? You know, gun control. It's been a perennial issue here in Connecticut for the last 10 years, sure. if not more. Um, you know, I think there will be an appetite to do some more there. So, yeah, you know, we've got Big issues that affect everybody, of course, healthcare, energy, the budget. But yes, there there will be social issues. And again, each lawmaker brings their own unique issue to the table in terms of what causes do they feel strongly about? What are they hearing about from their constituents in their local communities? And you know, going back to what I said at the beginning, this is a long session. Any legislator can introduce any bill on any topic. The sheer number of bills we will see this year will be triple what we saw last year. So just by way of comparison, uh, in the 2022 legislative session, which was a short session, there were approximately 999 bills introduced. Wow. Um, 999 bills introduced, uh, 168 passed. I expect this year there to be upwards of 3,300 bills introduced. Um, perhaps more, but that that's kind of the, the baseline if, if passed this prologue here. So just the sheer volume of work and the number of topics uh, is going to be having people 
constantly having to pay attention to what's happening in Hartford. Yeah. You know, as we get ready to wind up, do you find that there are more bills, or is it something that's ever occurred to you, more bills when you have a newer group in the legislature or fewer as they're all trying to sort of get acclimated? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I've never really looked at that. Um, there are some bills that are just kind of perennial topics and legislators you know, will reintroduce the same bill every two years. Right. Because there's like Martin Looney every year. It doesn't he introduce the same couple bills? Yeah. You know, there was the the quote unquote mansion tax bill. Um, That was one that's come up, you know, at the beginning of every every term by by Senator Looney, Um, you know, and and likewise on the on the Republican side, you see bills by certain legislators every year to um, eliminate the estate tax, of course. So you'll have those perennial bills. I, I think what I have seen over the last two plus years, and you know whether this was a COVID-related effect or just lawmakers realizing the need to limit the sheer volume of bills, is that the total number of bills introduced has been down overall somewhat. Mm-hmm. And it may not seem like that when I said there was 1,000 bills this year, there will be over 3,000 bills <laughs> coming up. Believe it or not, that they are doing a little bit less. Um, but that's also because, you know, why if you're a lawmaker, it's much easier to sign on to someone else's bill as a sponsor if you believe in the same thing and have the same idea than it is to have five or six or 10 different bills uh, that are nearly identical floating around as well. Sure. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see all that's going to happen with all these new legislators. And uh, we'll see. It seems to me if you have all this uh, surplus that we've heard about, it makes the argument for raising taxes much more difficult. But I don't put it past some of our friends in the legislature to try. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right, Carol. And, you know, it'll be very fascinating to watch what type of fiscal restraint people exercise versus um, even if you're not talking about raising taxes, but what type of new, new spending priorities are put in place. And, and, you know, we have some money. Let's go out and blow it. We it's it's party party time, right? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Lord help us all. Well, Andy, we'll be uh, looking forward to working with you um, to take on all the bills and keep all of our friends and listeners across Connecticut informed about what's going on, uh, trying to uh, urge the good ideas on and stop the bad ones in their tracks. And so thank you for taking this time to give us all a little peek, uh, a little look ahead, as daunting as some of it sounds. We'll be there, and I know uh, you'll be there keeping an eye on all of it. Absolutely. Can't wait. (laughs) Yep. So everybody, eat your Wheaties, enjoy your Christmas, and we'll all be uh, gathering back together in the new year, and we'll take it on. One step at a time. We'll, We'll get it done. So, Andy, thanks so much for joining us, everybody. That was Andy Markowski of Statehouse Associates, our legislative consultant and partner in arms. Thank you so much for joining us on this edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, and we'll be with you next time. I'll show you around this place I call home.